Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Renee Evans. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com. coffee with me. It's just been that kind of a week that we need a lot of extra caffeine. Amen. (sighs) Yes, so good. Well, because this is just our Bethel Austin community, I thought I would sit down so you can pretend like we're having a cup of coffee together. You know, just curled up on your sofa, just chatting. Um, But I'm so happy that it's our Bethel Austin community. And obviously, I love the opportunity to share the good news with everyone, but there is something so special about tonight and that it's just with our family. And so I'm excited for what I feel like the Lord has on his heart for me to preach tonight. And um, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I will second that, that it has been a crazy week, uh, which I will talk a little bit more about in a minute. But I thought this was really funny and I would share it with you. I was uh, practicing and prepping and studying for my sermon yesterday and hours and hours into study. And I'm like, Lord, I still don't know which direction to go. Like, please help me. Like, I kind of have had enough of making decisions. It's kind of, I think all moms can relate at some point. It's like when you go on vacation, it's like your husband's like, what do you want for dinner? You're like, I don't care. Like vacation for me means not making decisions. (laughs) And so I was like, Lord, just help me. We've made enough tough decisions this week. If you would just tell me which direction to go, that would be super helpful. And I was eating my lunch at the time and I was having some delicious Thai red curry. And then there was a fortune cookie in front of me. (laughs) And so I opened my fortune cookie and it says this. Choose your own path. I was like, really? Really? (laughs) Just kind of, I'm like, God, are you quarantining from me? It kind of feels like it right now. Um, But no, I'm glad that he doesn't quarantine from us. Amen. In fact, he's probably closer now in the moments that it's hard and stressful and we're hurting than any other moment. Um, But I just thought that was funny. I'm like, I love free will, but sometimes I just want you to make the decisions, Jesus. Um, it was kind of one of those, kind of one of those ones. But anyway, let's pray before we get started. Ah, Jesus, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you that in the midst of chaos, that you are constant, that you are good, that you are faithful. And God, we thank you for showing up tonight. And Lord, we just ask that you would just use the word tonight as a two-edged sword to pierce through bone and marrow, Lord that you would just allow for your word to come into our spirits, to enlarge our hearts and to expand our minds and to change us, God. We don't want to just read scripture for the sake of reading scripture. We want to come to the Bible. We want to come to your words prepared and open to be transformed. So we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So firstly, I wanted to say a huge thank you to our community. Uh, As we've mentioned, uh, the Port A trip got canceled, (laughs) which is devastating. Um, Service has been canceled. There's just been a lot going on, as you can imagine, with everything COVID, with the racial climate uh, in the U.S., in our city. And it's just been a really tough week. And I think Joaquin and I were talking today, and it's like we feel like we've had grace but we feel like somehow 
we've kind of gotten underneath it a little bit this past week, and I'm not sure if you're the same, um, but we recognize that it's not us, it's the atmosphere, but it's been a battle to get out from underneath the atmosphere this week, probably more so than any other week, and so it's been a stressful week. Um, we're feeling a little overwhelmed. I'm going to be honest, we have no idea what we're doing. Um, in the sense that we've never led in this kind of environment before. But I wanted to say thank you to you, Bethel Austin. You guys have shown us so much love in this last few months and so much grace. And when we've had to make hard decisions, you've really supported us and just been there for us. And you may think that your little comments like um, on Facebook are just like, come on, we got you or we love you are just comments. But to us, like honestly, they have been such a source of strength and support for us in the last few weeks and we just wanted to say thank you for extending grace to us in a season where we are leading as best we can um, in uncharted waters and just trying to make the right decisions trying to lead and follow the holy spirit and not bow to fear yet walk in wisdom and protection and so the decisions that we've made have just been um They've just been received with such love and grace. And I just wanted to say thank you because you can literally feel the grace that you all are extending to us. And it's powerful and it shoulders some of the burden that we are carrying in this season. And so we love you and we're thankful for you. It leads me conveniently into the topic that I wanted to speak on tonight. I wanted to speak on graceful leadership and how to lead with grace. And I, uh, I wanted to read a couple of scriptures, but then I just wanted to give us a few tools on how to lead well in this season. Amen? Okay, so some of the scriptures I want to start with is this, Philippians 2, 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. I say that a hundred times a day to my children. <laughs> And I feel like the Lord is saying that to us. Be kind to one another. This is a hard season, so be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. In other words, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, let's extend mercy and grace and forgiveness and goodness towards them. Amen? I know just as a parent, like I said, I say that to my children all the time, and sometimes I feel like the Lord is looking down on us sometimes and like, hey, be nice to each other. <laughs> If you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all. <laughs> I still remember that from my grandma. She would say that all the time. But sometimes I'm like, she must have taken the words right out of God's mouth, I'm sure. Um, and so I believe that in this season and in life in general, if we call ourselves believers, if we follow Jesus Christ, then we are just naturally leaders, and I think we are all leading in some capacity, whether we're staying at home with our kids and we're leading our kids, whether we are managing 500 people and we are leading them, whether we are clocking in nine to five, Monday to Friday, and we don't think that anyone is following us. In fact, 
people are always watching us and people are always following us. So whether you're aware of it or not, you are a leader. And you're not only a leader in nature, but you are called by God to lead. And this is such a hard yet beautiful season to lead in. Amen. I don't think you could ask any leader if they would put their hand up and volunteer to lead a group of people in 2020. I don't know about you, but I often have conversations in the last three months that look like, man, I wish we had have planted Bethel Austin in 2021. <laughs> we could have just skipped leading this season because it is not easy. <laughs> but the thing about leadership is it's not always easy. It's not always convenient. But it is a call that we have, and it is a privilege that we have. Amen. And some of the questions that I've been asking myself, I am learning um, as we all are in how to be a better leader. And some of the questions I've begun to ask myself in this season is, am I leading with grace or judgment? Am I leading out of my emotions or out of wisdom? Am I being a reactive leader or am I being a steadfast leader? And I think we need to ask ourselves those questions. I um, There's always going to be people who have something to say about how you lead. <laughs> always. And there's always going to be the person who raises their hand to say, ah, I would have done it different. A hundred times out of a hundred times, they are not leading in the capacity that you're leading. And I'll just leave it at that. But sometimes the harshest criticism come from those who are broken or maybe they're hurt or maybe they're offended at their lack of leadership platform themselves. And so they vicariously lead through you, pointing out your failures and pointing out all the things that they would do differently. And that's okay. Sometimes we've just got to nod and smile and just be like, you know what? Even though I don't feel a whole lot of grace coming towards me, I'm going to extend grace to you. But I want to encourage you in that because sometimes we feel like when we get pushback that it's always a negative thing. And in some cases, we actually know that we are walking in the path that God has for us because there's opposition. And I love um, Rita Springer. She uses this quote and she says, whenever you take new territory, you are demanding and creating war. You're declaring war whenever you step into new territory. And so some of you, I believe this season, are stepping into new territory and you're receiving some feedback. And I want to encourage you. And I want to say you're stepping further into your calling and into your destiny. So don't let the war that is coming against you discourage you. Let it motivate you that you are on the right path. Amen. Look, I am not saying that we all need to lead the same. That would be ridiculous. And I'm also not saying that you have to agree with every single thing your leaders say, except for me, because I'm, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I love this. Pastor Bill Johnson says this. He would often, when we were in the school of ministry, he would have teachers and preachers come into the school and be teaching us and he would say to us, I don't always agree with the theology of the teachers that I bring in to teach you. And me, in my mind, I'm like, well, that's, that doesn't make sense. Like, why would that be? He's like, I love their heart, but I don't always agree with them. And I'm like, hmm, that doesn't sound like the church I know. Typically, we're always to agree with the preacher and the pastor. <laughs> but he said this statement. He said, 
I don't want to teach you what to think. I want to teach you how to think. And so we don't always have to agree with one another. But how we communicate to one another, it matters. And how we share our opinions or our disagreement, it matters. It matters to God and it matters to the body of Christ. You know, um, we're all leaders. And I think one of my favorite things is to look back through the Bible, through history, and find great leaders and study their life. And um, we've, we've already made it clear that we are all in a form of leadership. Amen. Whether we know it or not, um, whether we want to be or not, um, but we are in some capacity. And so it would serve us well to look back on people who have gone before us and to learn from them. Amen. So one of my favorite leaders of all time is King David. And there are a few uh, leadership tools that I wanted to pull out from his life that we can apply to our lives and I believe will be encouragement to you and will be um, just so effective to add to your tool belt as a leader leading in this current climate and season. And so the first one is he always inquired of the Lord. In fact, the one time he didn't, we, most of us know what happened, and you can read all about that. He committed adultery, he committed murder, he sinned against the Lord. Pretty much everything that could go wrong went wrong when he didn't inquire of the Lord. But to, to, to um, put that on his leadership as a whole would not be true because most of the time, almost every single time that David moved, that David went into battle before he took a kingdom, before he did anything, he inquired of the Lord. And I believe that we are to inquire of the Lord more often over the mundane things. And here is what I want to ask you. How often do we inquire of the Lord before we post a Facebook comment? How often do we inquire of the Lord before we write an email? Or before we throw our opinions around? How many times are we actually getting before the Lord and asking him, hey, Jesus, would this make you proud? Do I look like you when I say these words? I can be kind of emotional, which I know is shocking to most people. Um, <laughs> but I am, and I can often lead with emotion. And so one of my greatest um, lessons that I have learned over the years and continue to learn is how to allow my emotions to serve me but not rule me and how to become a, a proactive leader and not a reactive leader. And see, a reactive leader is defensive. A reactive leader just jumps on uh, topics and situations and just throws their comments around without really inquiring of the Lord. I, um, I would look, I would hear things and see things and just make up assumptions as to the other person's side of the story. Have we ever done that? No, maybe just me. But, you know, I wouldn't do my research sometimes. I... Um, I wouldn't give people the benefit of the doubt. And as I learn to become more proactive and not reactive, one of the greatest lessons I'm learning in that is to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I think that if we can simply do that and extend that grace towards one another, 
that we would live in such a kinder world, that we would live in such a kinder church. And I don't say church, Bethel Austin, I say church as in the body of Christ. Um, okay, so I'm indirectly uh, selected to reply to the comment, to the complaint emails that come in to Bethel Austin. So if you get her, if you're complaining and you get a response, that's me. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, I kind of thrive a little bit on drama. I'm not going to lie. I think a lot of us do, but we don't like to admit it. But I like a little bit of drama. Um, and so I'm like, all right, I volunteer. <laughs> I'll answer those emails. Um, but here's what I would do. I would get an email. And essentially, people just write emails out of emotion, right? when they're complaining, especially. And if you're on the receiving end, they don't feel super fun. And I don't know about you, but all my defenses go up. And I write out an email, and I tell you what, my mom, let alone Jesus, would not be proud <laughs> of that email. But you know what I do? I write out that email, and I send it to myself. Or I'll write out a comment on Facebook of how I really feel, and then I delete it. I have yet to accidentally press send. But I do that, and then I give myself 24 hours. I give myself a cooling off period because I can get emotional, and I can get reactive, and I know that about myself. And so I've created this buffer system where in order for me to not uh, make comments and opinions out of reaction, I let myself cool off. And then I go back and I reread the email and I think, is this a fun email that I would like to receive? Again, is this an email that Jesus would be proud of? If he read my emails, which he reads your comments on Facebook and he reads your emails. If he reads them, is he proud of us? And that's what I have to continually ask myself and I have to go back and I have to delete a whole bunch of stuff that I want to say but I shouldn't say and I throw in a whole lot more grace that definitely doesn't come from me but comes from Jesus and then I send it and I think that we need to inquire of the Lord before we react and there's so much to react to now I mean you just look on Facebook. You just scroll there and every second comment, I bet you you have an opinion about it. And it's okay to have an opinion. But it's not always okay to react to that opinion without giving the person the benefit of the doubt because you would want that and you would expect that, right? We always want someone to give us the benefit of the doubt and so we need to extend that same grace to other people. Um. Look, I don't mean that you should be a pushover at all. I don't mean that people should be able to just complain and throw all their hurt on you, all their offense on you, and you should just be like, bless you in Jesus' name. Like, I am still quite strict in the emails that I reply to, but the motivation in which they come from is one of love and not one of heated emotion. And I'm kinder with my words. And just like that scripture that we just read where the Lord says, be kind to one another. That is my constant question to myself and it's my question to you. Are we leading with kindness? 
It sounds so simple and it sounds so elementary, yet if we're really truthful in this season, at some stage we have all probably reacted in a way that we're not proud of or maybe that Jesus isn't proud of. We've got to inquire before the Lord, before we form conclusions and before we create bias. Amen. Another lesson that we can learn from King David is to lead with humility. He led with humility. If ever there was a leader who was humble before the Lord, it was King David. And, you know, we see this time and time again from his very beginning when he was out in as a shepherd boy, his humble beginnings being born as a shepherd boy. He wasn't born into royalty. He was born looking after sheep and killing lions and bears, which is pretty impressive. And he was humble before the Lord when he went to fight with Goliath. He was humble before the Lord when he repented for his sins. He constantly was in a posture of humbling himself before the Lord. And I want to encourage us to do the same because a good leader is a humble leader. And if we're not leading with humility, then we're leading with pride. I love this psalm that he, read, that he wrote in uh, 51, 10 through 11. It says, create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, and do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. It sounds like it's coming from a pretty humble man, if you ask me. And in 51.17, he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. See, pride cannot live in the place of sacrifice. It just can't. And when we're continually sacrificing our lives before the Lord, then pride will not come in because pride cannot live in the place of sacrifice. In Proverbs 11:2, it says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And there is scripture after scripture after scripture all throughout the Bible that talks about humility. And it's a characteristic that not just Christians in general need, but we almost need an extra dose <laughs> as leaders. Amen. One of the most dangerous prayers you can ever pray is, Lord, humble me. I dare you to try it. <laughs> and you know, one of the most humble responses that we can give as leaders is, I don't know. I don't know how many times in the last three months I've said, I don't know. Because genuinely, I don't know. I mean, do we know? Do we know everything that is happening no, none of us do. None of us have all the answers. None of us are perfect. But we can say, I don't know. And that's not a form of weakness. It's actually a form of humility. It would be prideful for us to think that God doesn't have to reach as far to us with his grace as he does to our neighbors. Sometimes we can look at our brothers and sisters and our neighbors and be like, whoa, they really need God's grace. <laughs> Maybe that's just me who has thought that. Um, <laughs> but God constantly reminds you, hey, honey, the same grace that saved them is the same grace that saved you. My arm wasn't longer for them as than it was for you. We all get unmerited 
undeserved grace and it levels the playing field for humanity. Not one of us is more deserving than another of the grace of God. Not one of us. We have to remain humble in our shortcomings and be aware of our shortcomings because, you know, people cover your shortcomings just as you cover others' shortcomings. And it's humility that can actually say, you know what, I don't have it all together. I have shortcomings. I have weaknesses. And that person over there is actually way better at that than me, and they're going to be able to cover my weakness. And instead of feeling threatened by allowing people who are strong where we're weak to come in, we receive them with humility, knowing that it takes a body, a body of Christ to operate. You know, we're being prepared as the bride of Christ, but the bride of Christ is going to be perfect. It's not going to be missing a finger. It's not going to be operating on just one kidney. It's not going to even have ingrown toenails or um, any blemishes. It's going to be perfect, but it's going to be perfect because we need each other and we work together. Amen. I um. So, the first two points was. What was it? I don't know. Help me, Jesus. We all need to lead by inquiring of the Lord, and we all need to lead with humility. Lead with humility. And then the third one is, he, King David, extended undeserved grace. And oftentimes, it's easy to extend grace to those that we think are deserving of grace and worthy of grace. But how do we respond to those who have different opinions who believe different things than we do, who support different causes than we would support, do we still give them the same kind of grace that Jesus gave us? I love this story in the Bible, and I'm going to read the whole chapter because it is just gold. It is a passage that is perhaps one of my favorite in the whole entire Bible, and I've studied it for years, and I just, I love this passage and I remember the first time I ever heard it preached and I was just captured by this story and it's the story of King David and Mephibosheth and if you haven't heard it before I know you're going to love it and if you have heard it before pretend you haven't and it's like brand new revelation (laughs) but I want to read this to you I might go fast in some places but if you have your Bible turn to 2nd Samuel chapter 9. I may stop or make some emphasis on some certain words. Um, There's so much goodness in this one passage of Scripture that it's hard for me to not stop at every second word and break it down. Um, Okay, let's read. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You know, that word kindness can better be interpreted in the English as devotion or covenant. So let's read that again with that in mind. Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul that I may show him devotion and covenant because of Jonathan's sake? And we know back in 1 Samuel chapter 20 that Jonathan and David made a covenant with one another. And Jonathan said, never stop showing kindness to my family. Promise me that. And David said, I will never stop showing kindness to your family. Because Jonathan knew that David would be king. 
Even though Jonathan was rightfully the heir to the throne, he knew that David was appointed and anointed to be king. And so he said to David, when I am not king and you are on your throne, don't forget my family. Don't forget to show them kindness. And David remembers this, and this story is written in the height of David's reign. He had just taken 10 times the territory um, that he had been given, and he was just rocking this whole royalty thing. I mean, he was knocking it out of the park. Um, And then he remembers this. He's like, huh, I made a covenant to Jonathan. And then it goes on, it says, And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Makkah, the son of Emil in Lodabar. Then, the king, then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Makkah, the son of Emil from Lodabar. He was residing in a place that literally meant pastureless, a Philistine wasteland. That's where Mephibosheth was living. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And then David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, Here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear. Do not fear. The reason that Mephibosheth came before King David and prostrated himself on the ground and why David specifically said, do not fear, is because when a new king would take over the throne, he would get all of the former king's relatives, all of his sons, and he would execute them to establish his throne and to remain in authority and not have his throne threatened. So Jonathan, I mean Mephibosheth, for all he knew, he was the grandson of King Saul. For all he knew, David was calling him so that he could be executed, so that David could maintain his throne. So that's why this part is so important. And David said, do not be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness For Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may eat food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that the Lord, the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and he, and he, oh, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. He went from pastureless, he went from a Philistine wasteland 
to the center of God's chosen people. He dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet. Now, I don't know about you, but I ask a lot of questions to the Lord when I read Scripture. And um, I have a lot of questions about this passage. <laughs> I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to camp on all of them, but like, why did they say he was lame in both feet? Twice. Not once, twice. Like, why was that important? And you see, the beautiful thing about this text is the story of King David and Mephibosheth is a type and shadow of us and Jesus. See, not only did King David restore to him all that was lost, his servants, his land, the harvest that belonged to his grandfather, not only did he restore him, but he took it a step further. He said, you come to my table. You have personal, close relationship with me, the king. And you will dine with me as though you dine as one of my sons. And that is what Jesus does for us, amen. He doesn't just restore, but then he throws grace upon that restoration and gives us things that we never deserve to be walking in apart from Jesus Christ. Amen. I am, um, I'm missing a page. You would think that I should get more like tech savvy. I do have all of this on my computer, but for some reason, I just like paper. Anyway. Um, I love this quote from Bill Johnson. So, with the concept bearing in mind that when you're invited to the king's table, you're not just invited to dine with the king, but you are now a part of the family. Listen to this. This is what Bill Johnson says. When you sit at the table of the Lord, at the table of family, all of your lameness is covered. Because God doesn't invite us just to his courts. He didn't, David didn't just say to Mephibosheth, come join me at my courts. Because the courts is where he rules and extends authority. But the family aspect comes from the table. He says, come to my table. Come to my table. I don't want you to just see me as your authority, as your ruler. I want you to see me as your family. And the beautiful thing about that table is it covers lameness. It covered Mephibosheth, and it covers us. See, we are all Mephibosheth in this story. We are all recipients of this grace that Jesus so freely gives us. And just as he gives it to us, he requires of it us to give it to other people. And there is something powerful that as we extend grace to people, whether we think they're deserving or not, there is something powerful that takes place in that moment. We allow them to lean on our strength when they're weak. And in turn, when we're weak, we get to lean on their strength. Because we are all broken and we are all lame to some extent, right? We live in a fallen world. And we don't have it all together. But we get to come to this table of family and in that place, all of our brokenness, all of the mess that we've done and maybe the messes we're still doing <laughs> and all the messes that we're going to do are covered in that place. 
And as leaders, we get to help bring people to that table. We get to help invite people to the table of the Lord. I think we're all doing our best in this season. I think we're all trying our best. And it is hard. And if you need someone to talk to and process with, then we have those tools available for you. We have people who you can talk to. But the beautiful thing about our community is that we get to cover one another and we get to be a strength to one another in this season. So we don't feel like we're thriving. Guess what? We get to lean on our neighbor who might be thriving in this season, and we get to pull strength from them. See, sometimes when I move into a place of judgment or reaction, I have to come back to the beginning. I have to come back to the one who extends grace to me. The one who continually lets me dine at his table no matter how many times I get it wrong. I'm going to keep getting some things wrong. As a leader, you just do. Hopefully, we learn (laughs) and we don't make the same mistakes. But there is a lot of pressure in a place of leadership. But like I said before, every single one of us is called to lead and is leading. And I want to tell you, I understand the pressure that comes with that. And just as you have extended grace to us, to our leadership team, we extend grace towards you. We don't all have to have it figured out. None of us have it figured out. We just have to do our best to recognize the one who gives us grace constantly and do our best then to channel that grace out towards other people. Amen. I've asked Dylan to come and play a song for us. Um, It's a reminder, if you will. um, When we were all at one time invited to the king's table, and you know, I think for a lot of us, we weren't just invited to come to the king's table, but we were carried to the table of the Lord. You know, one of the things as well that I love about this story is twice he said, Mephibosheth will continually dine at my table. He didn't just say he's going to come and enjoy a banquet with me and then go home. Every single day, Mephibosheth ate at the table of the Lord. Every single day was a reminder of the grace that had been extended to him that he did not deserve. And it's the same for us. It's a daily thing. (laughs) If we only ate once a month, we wouldn't be super healthy. And or we'd be dead. Pretty much. But (laughs) it's not something that we come to occasionally. Grace isn't something that was once given at redemption and then stopped. He pours out His grace daily to us. And can I encourage you, if you don't feel like you have enough grace for people in this season to get into the presence of God, 
to sit at the table of your king and be filled up so then you can go and pour out to other people. You know, I know when I haven't gone to the king's table and received grace. I am short with people. I am snappy at my kings, my, my king, at my, at, well, maybe at my king, but at my kids. I don't have a ton of grace for change. I get anxious really easily. And I have to stop myself and I'm like, okay, good time to go and sit before God. Sometimes I even lock myself in my bedroom away from my kids, away from the world that is driving me insane. And I just, for one song, I throw a worship song on. I'm like, God, fill me with your grace so that I can be a graceful mom. But that grace probably won't last until next week. I got to go every single day to eat of his goodness and to receive the grace that he wants to give us. Amen. I believe that it is a privilege for us to lead in this season. And I believe that the world is watching the church to watch how we lead in this season. And so my question is, are you inquiring of the Lord before you react? Are you leading in this season with humility? And are you aware of the grace that you have been given so that you can give it to other people? Dylan's going to play this song over us, and I just want you to just get on your knees, get on your feet, whatever you have to do, but posture your heart to the Lord. And as he sings these words over you, I want you to be reminded of the constant grace that is available to you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.